Today's episode of the Noted Bitcoin podcast is a little different. Michael Goldstein and I appeared on Zach Vol's podcast, CoinPod. Go subscribe to his podcast. Uh, and this is just a syndication of that episode. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to episode 15 of The Coin Pod, a weekly podcast featuring brief conversations with professionals around the world who use, build, and study Bitcoin. I'm your host, Zach Bull. Thanks for listening. This week's Coin Pod is not especially brief, due in part to the quantity and caliber of my guests. Michael Goldstein and Pierre Richard are two of the most vocal Bitcoin maximalists in the Bitcoin or so called crypto space. And they work continuously on a variety of projects oriented towards the continued success of the Bitcoin blockchain. One of their more popular efforts is the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. And this episode is a special collaboration between the CoinPod and the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. I think you'll really enjoy this as Pierre, Michael, and I bounce around between a wide variety of topics. You really won't want to miss any of it. So without further delay, here's Pierre and Michael. Pierre, Michael, thanks so much for making the time to chat. This should be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to getting into whatever we decide to get into today with you guys. Yeah, happy to be on. I'm here in person with Michael Goldstein for the second time because we recorded a podcast with Giacomo yesterday. Good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on again. Pierre, I'm, you've told your story about how you got into Bitcoin um, more times than maybe you care to remember. Uh, something a little different, maybe. Can you recall, and Michael too, I guess, can you recall through, uh, through the years that you've spent in Bitcoin, maybe some of the most bizarre interactions or stories or um, encounters, I guess, you've had with people asking you about Bitcoin? Well, in, the, in strictly bizarre terms i think the most bizarre was uh back in the early days in 2013 which was early days for me i know that's not for other people but i was arguing with this guy on facebook about litecoin and he was saying like oh bitcoin is for noobs if you're very sophisticated you'll understand that litecoin due to its faster confirmation times is simply going to out, out compete bitcoin over the long term so uh you guys are idiots and this this was before the word bitcoin maximalism existed right um but it was through arguing with him because i was like why would that be that great of an advantage that it like that doesn't seem like a particularly good selling point especially when i was researching and found that well you have to wait the same same amount of time, more confirmations for Litecoin to have the same level of confidence in a you know first confirmation. So I, I argued with him, and and then also the the meme about like being silver to Bitcoin's gold, and getting into the arguments about divisibility and all that. So I was kind of a Bitcoin maximalist, a, a proto Bitcoin maximalist before the uh, thing existed as, and. I think a few months later or a year later, we find out that he, he stopped a school shooting 
It was something like that. Or at least he was, he was caught up in a, a school shooting. Yeah, he was like a librarian at a university in Florida. And I think his name was Nathan Scott. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know what? Altcoiners aren't all bad, right? Like they can be heroes too. So that was very formative for me. But it is kind of, it, it's interesting to me that I came out the gate a Bitcoin maximalist and haven't changed my mind at all since then, which because that it indicates that I'm like obsessed with my own thoughts or can't evolve or something. But I, I think that I actually accidentally stumbled onto the correct point of view. So I'm sticking to that story. Yeah, it is interesting how we've been basically saying the same thing pretty consistently for the past five years. Yeah. Um, and everyone thinks that they're advancing in all of these cool ways with you know, it was Bitcoin 2.0 at one point. They were talking about app coins and altcoins and ICOs and all this stuff. And every single time, it's been the same arguments. They've just rebranded it every time. And we're just sitting here, you know, continuing to give the same arguments about Bitcoin. And Bitcoin continues to operate in the way that we would sort of expect it to. Um, so, yeah, I do think that we stumbled onto the right thing. I can't claim to be a Bitcoin maximalist when I first got into Bitcoin, which was, I guess, around summer 2014 or something, maybe towards the fall when the fall semester started. My roommate had been into it for a couple of years and he I got into it through him, um, Dan, and uh, we're still good buds and that sort of thing. But after about a year or so, Bitcoin was all all that I knew and the, I was aware of other projects, but didn't really have any interest in exploring them or learning about them. And then eventually I grew a small interest in them and my max, we'll say my maximalism wavered somewhat in that I had a curiosity and wasn't really sure necessarily why all these other projects were just waste of time at best. Um, and my journey through Bitcoin has been and continues to be sort of an oscillation of maximalism and soft maximalism and that sort of thing. But something I was just chatting with Dan about the other day is it never ceases to amaze me how when you give, when I give, I should say, time and thought to considering any nominally new critique of maximalism, that Bitcoin's maximalism still wins the day every single time. And one of the things that has just clinched it, brought it home for me recently is, like you're mentioning, Pierre, arguing about Litecoin, arguing with anyone about any other coin that may have some sort of feature that is nominally or actually better than something in Bitcoin, um, that Bitcoin doesn't have to be better than everything. It can be worse in any number of ways than any coin that exists than every coin that exists. And it is still good enough and the best coin and cannot be outcompeted by anything else. The, the orders of magnitude necessary to beat out Bitcoin simply does not exist. And I would argue will not exist, at least for a considerable period of time. Um, so yeah, I haven't always been a hardcore maximalist and Bitcoin doesn't necessarily have to be the best coin in every area for all of time, but maximalism is the way to go in my opinion. So whether it's Litecoin or Verge or Tron or XRP or anything else, it's probably a losing bet. I'll shamefully disclose, I do own some Litecoins. I think, well, I, I use the plural, but I think it's like 1.7 <laughs> Uh we had a fan of the podcast say, hey, I don't like spending my Bitcoins. Can I send you Litecoin? <laughs> it's like, all right, dude. Uh, 
the most difficult part about that was accepting that I was downloading the Litecoin Core software <laughs> and that I was going to run this on my computer. But there you go. It's a shameful admission. Uh, and then the other thing is that you mentioned like Tron. It, it's an ERC20 token on top of Ethereum. And I don't know that I would even designate that as a crypto money. It's really crypto equity uh, and thus even trashier and worse as a money than Litecoin. At least Litecoin is, is decentralized, not as decentralized as Bitcoin. Always got to qualify. <laughs> Here I am defending Litecoin. But uh, in, in compared to something like Tron, where its existence is in the future and dependent on the efforts of a third party, it's kind of absurd to compare it to, or put it in the same bucket as even uh, an unspeakable altcoin like Litecoin. I didn't even know anything about Tron. I didn't even know it was an ERC token. I, I, I wish I didn't know anything about Tron, but these things find their way into my Twitter feed. I should have like a people. fake Pierre Richard responding to you talking about a Tron giveaway and you almost <laughs> fell for yourself. It's like, yeah. well, if I said it, it must be a good idea until you realized it wasn't you. Yeah. If you go on Twitter and you see any giveaways where it's my profile picture, uh, that's just because I'm on Ambien and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. So it's probably not a good idea to send Ethereum to that address. I might not give you the giveaway. Or I might. You never know. So try it out. Speaking of your Twitter feed, I think, Michael, you do the same thing. Something that's always been a little bit curious to me is, um, not without good reason, but you take great pains to sort of curate um, a very particular type of Twitter feed. You've even, I mean, you've freely used the term echo chamber. And I come from a background in academic debate and I enjoy engaging people who I disagree with on almost anything or everything. Um, can you walk me through a little bit why you're such a big fan of uh, sort of building a Twitter echo chamber as far as Bitcoin and Bitcoin maximalism is concerned? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> um, I have a background in debate as well. I did Lincoln Douglas in high school and enjoyed that a lot. Um, so... I'm okay with entertaining opposing points of view and, you know, going back and forth on them and uh, doing rebuttals and counter rebuttals and all of this. Uh, but after being around for five years, I think I've exhausted all of the arguments. Uh, so there's only so much, uh, so much to be said. And I haven't seen an original argument probably in three years. Um, so at some point I was like, well, Twitter added this mute feature. Uh, I should start using it liberally because the arguments for, you know, okay, actually th th I, I take back what I just said. There were new arguments with the hard fork with Bitcoin Cash uh, because that hadn't really happened before. Um, so I was happy to engage with those arguments for a few months. Uh, but now I think that I've exhausted any sort of uh, intellectual rigor that may have existed in the Bcash camp, uh, and now I just see them as fraudsters. Like they're they're not really uh, they don't have any substance to them, or I've debunked any superficial substance they put forth. Um, yeah. So in terms of having an echo chamber, 
I think that's actually a, a bit of a caricature because in the Bitcoin maximalist camp, there are people with different interests and different uh, views on different issues. So whether it's like UASF, where you had like, I, I think I recently read that Matt Corallo once stated that he would sell his Bitcoin 48 coins because he thought that he was going to fork into oh, it all. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the core developers, uh, you know, did not like UA USAF. No, UASF. UASF. Um, uh, I'm sure they don't, you know, care for a lot of the military stuff either. But, um, <laughs> but I like know, it. Uh, I think it's, it's guerrilla warfare. <laughs> Bip uh, Bip 148 was not uh, very popular among the core devs, um, and yet, you know, we didn't we didn't turn on them for having a disagreement. I was I was rather skeptical of Bip 148 um, until it happened. Um, in which case I was, you know, excited by it. Um, so yeah, no, I think you make a, a very good point is uh, we do allow for a lot of diversity of opinion, but we don't want to waste our time with, you know, arguments that have extremely low marginal utility. Uh, like, you know, think of, think of all the economics arguments you probably got into where it all just kind of boiled down to some inane thing about the broken window fallacy or something. It's like at some point you want to talk about something more than the broken window fallacy. And when it comes to Bitcoin, you know, we've heard all the arguments, like we said, like all of these things have mostly been rebranding except for, you know, some of the recent stuff with the hard fork. Um, and so we've, we've seen it all. And if someone was able to come and, and either present us with like a, a sort of a steel man refutation of us or, you know, some actually original thought, you know, I, I think we'd, you know, both be very excited to hear that because we've been itching for something new for the past five years. Um, but that just doesn't come. So um, for us, you know, I speaking for myself, at least it's, it's much more beneficial to be uh, keeping my mind on the important things that I want to focus on. You know, I think there's there's so much that needs to be built. Uh, it's it's better to focus in on what those things are and how we can get it done and, and be in a sort of more productive mindset. Um, than constantly going down, you know, this this chaotic fractal of shitcoinery uh, that you would otherwise have to do. Like, otherwise, I would actually have to look at the Tron white paper and come up <laughs> with a with an interesting argument against it instead of just saying no, that's stupid. So, actually, something that's really helpful in that regard, the Tron white paper plagiarized another ICO's white paper, so. It, they save you a lot of work. Oh, because... so you just need to find that one ICO that they all copy from. Yeah, and I think that's the Ethereum yellow paper. Okay. Um, and then in my case, yeah, there's the five years in Bitcoin of arguing these issues. But there's actually more than a decade of me studying monetary economics. And I, when I read about Bitcoin... I was already deep into the sound money, 100% reserve camp. That's how we became friends. Yeah, exactly. We thought the, gold would take over. The Mises circle. Well, gold or silver. Yeah. Let's keep an open mind. <laughs> I'm in a alt-golder. Yeah. Alt-metaller. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I'd already heard every single argument about monetary economics under the sun. And I'd read, 
you know, like mainstream books like uh, Mishkin's book on money and banking. Uh, obviously, like kind of the, the pop economic stuff that Paul Krug drivels. Uh, and all of the Austrian economics arguments, whether it's between like free banking and 100% reserve banking, uh, and, you know, everything that Robert and Selgin and then Holzman and and Menger, and the list goes on. So I don't feel like I would ever feel, you know, wanting to argue about monetary economics with a Keynesian. Like, I've already determined that their arguments in favor of inflation and government intervention are completely idiotic and not based on anything in reality or in theory. Um, Whereas the other thing too is that the Keynesians, their valid argument, they do have valid arguments that, uh, or valid observations about reality, which are just rewordings of things that you can find elsewhere. It's, you know, whether it's in Austrian economics or uh, in classical economics or behavioral economics. So I, I just don't see any value in engaging on monetary economics with people. And here's the crazy thing is that the people who are in Ethereum are Keynesians. Like they think that, oh, well, if we give some utility, then we can create demand for our coin and that'll make the value of it go up. And these are just like half-baked Keynesian arguments. And so do I really want to debate Keynesian economics with people who don't know what Keynesian economics is? Like I can make the case for what they're saying better than they can. And I don't see any reason why I would waste time uh, arguing with people who are putting straw men up for their own side. It, it doesn't make any sense. I can definitely understand the uh, reluctance to engage in those sorts of arguments, given that they've been rehearsed and rebutted through decades, centuries of academic literature, and then through your years of personal study as well. But you didn't study economics. Did you study economics? And was it painful sitting through economics classes at UT? Or, or what did you study? Yeah, so I studied accounting. So as part of the curriculum, I did take a few economics classes uh, it wasn't painful because in Econ 101, they're actually pretty libertarian in a sense. Like they don't, they don't get into market failures all too much. Uh, they just focus on really like, I, I, I find it to just be mind numbing and misleading with their supply and demand graphs and all uh, their equilibrium nonsense. And, uh, Hey, let's, let's do, um, they, they would do like, you know, optimizing for utils and let's do some calculus for this. Uh, so honestly, that was, that was the tedious part. It, not, not that I ideologically disagreed with them on policy. It was that I disagreed with them on methodology. I mean, it's so much fun to calculate all the, the, utils of the widgets and the gizmos yeah yeah uh i i studied computer science um and i tried to avoid as many humanities classes and universities as possible because uh i did not want to expose myself to any kind of marxist indoctrination um i did take a because of require requirement i took a uh uh microeconomics class 
Um, that was my one class and I sat through it and I dealt with it. But otherwise, um, I was just reading, you know, Mises and Rothbard and Hoppe and Holzman and all the rest uh, on my own uh, on the side for, for our libertarian group as well as the Mises Circle. Going back to what you mentioned a minute ago, Michael, about not necessarily having time or uh, mental bandwidth to engage with all these um at best economically misled individuals and at worst just outright scammers because of all the things that need to be built and the enormous amount of work that has to be done um you both are pretty active in building lots of things what are what are y'all working on at present right now that you feel is worth mentioning um or any new projects coming down the road that you are planning to start working on um, well, I, I currently don't have any public projects. I, I do a lot of uh, contract work for uh, some Bitcoin companies. Um, so I'm doing things behind the scenes, but I, I don't have any public work to share at the moment, except for, you know, occasional tweets to the Nakamoto Institute website. Uh, I've been staying busy with this, particularly this website called Bitcoin X, uh, BitcoinACKS.com. Uh, and... The origin with this was that I was like, all right, I'm going to see if we can improve the Bitcoin Core wallet. Uh, specifically, I wanted to have it so that it, it saves the data to a relational SQL database in addition to saving it to the um, local wallet.dat file. And as part of that, I was like, so I kind of hacked a solution together for myself but I wanted it to get into Bitcoin Core, uh, you know, the the actual repo. And to get there, there's a bunch of other improvements in terms of separating the wallet from the node um, that kind of take priority over my ideas. And I was helping out with doing code reviews to see if I can you know, help move things along. And I realized that there's a bit of friction and uh, cognitive overhead in doing code reviews and just generally uh, keeping up with what's going on with the Bitcoin Core repo uh, and the pull requests. So I created this website, BitcoinX.com, and I think that I think there's at least like a half dozen other core developers that find it useful. Although ultimately, it is kind of just scratching my own itch. Um, and I'm continuing to iterate on it. Uh, if if anyone uh, enjoys working with Flask admin and uh, GraphQL APIs and wants to poke around, please do reach out to me. Uh, so that's one side project. But my main focus as of late has been on BitcoinAdvisory.com. And here I want to help uh, institutional investors understand what they're actually buying when they buy Bitcoins. Uh, it's very easy to like log on to Coinbase, you create your account, and then you're, you're presented with a menu of options, uh, whether it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, uh, hopefully soon XRP, we'll see. I'm crossing my fingers. Uh, but so- uh, I just saw the, the price skyrocket on that on yeah that. right oh. exactly how exciting <laughs> uh, and i could spend my time tra trashing the other coins but i actually want to stay focused on the positive case for investing in bitcoin uh and explaining how bitcoin works why bitcoin works 
to these new investors who are busy people and this is just 1% of their portfolio. Like they're not going all, all in like us nut jobs and spending all time on the Bitcoin, uh, uh, staying up all night on the Bitcoin wiki and reading uh, subreddit comments. So they need someone that they can just talk with, you know, once a quarter and keep up to speed with what's going on with a small percentage of their portfolio. Uh, so there's a lot of demand for that. And that's why I created Bitcoin Advisory. Uh, if you don't know how to spell advisory, go back to school. Uh, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-Y. Uh, and I think that it'll be written about in Coindesk tomorrow. Crossing my fingers. Uh, so yeah, on BitcoinAdvisory.com, I kind of lay out what kinds of services I provide. Uh, one thing that I think is particularly important is laying out the different investment theses that exist. Like I have mine about speculative attacks, hyper-Bitcoinization, and like Bitcoin is going to take over. Uh, there are other investment theses like George Soros's investment thesis is that there are dictators who want to store their wealth offshore and Bitcoin's a convenient way of doing that. So that's a perfectly valid uh, argument to make. Uh, Jamie Dimon's argument is that if you live in Cuba, North Korea or Ecuador, that your government, government is uh, either illegitimate or incapable of maintaining a sound money or, sorry, I shouldn't, I'm using that word very loosely. A fiat money that doesn't hi hyperinflate, <laughs> which uh, some governments struggle with. Uh, so there's all these different investment theses that are floating around, and uh, I kind of want to formalize them, give give my top five. Maybe I can come up with a top 10. Uh, but there's also arguments against investing in Bitcoin. And I think the no coiners, I've been pointing this out on my Twitter a lot, they're very unoriginal. They're incapable of elaborating on their own thesis. They they can't translate their thesis into an actual valuation because they'll be, they'll say stupid things like uh, Bitcoin's going to go to fifty dollars or to zero dollars, and it's like, all right, I, I get that you're bearish and you're not really excited about Bitcoin and you think there's arguments against it, but you have to accept that that's not a realistic valuation and. No one's going to take you seriously if you just come out the gate with that. Um, so I want to present arguments against Bitcoin. And like, if this argument is true, what would be a reasonable valuation range for Bitcoin? Like, let's say Bitcoin is too volatile. And so it'll always just be the plaything of speculators. Uh, you know, maybe that means that it's got a valuation between five and 50 grand at this point. I think that would be a realistic uh argument to make. Uh, but to, to say that uh, it's going to zero, uh, it, it reduces the credibility of what could plausibly be valid arguments against Bitcoin. Uh, and then I also obviously want to provide my own rebuttals and uh, qualifications for these uh, naysayers, skepticisms. So if you have institutional investors with curiosity for 
let's say Tron or an eBay for crypto kitties or any form of this other nonsense, are you just sort of going to wholesale dismiss all of it as a distraction? Or do you have the patience to sort of walk through whatever project they present to you as something they're potentially interested in investing in? And um, whether by sort of a line by line refutation of the details of the or the makeup of the project or just its category as an altcoin to Bitcoin dismiss it for them? Is that something you see yourself being involved in somewhat regularly? Or are you, are you anticipating the people you're going to be communicating with only interested in Bitcoin? So there's two parts to this. One on a regulatory level, I can't comment about things that are potentially securities. Uh, that means that I would have to be regulated as a registered investment advisor. Uh, the SEC has come out and said specifically Bitcoin is not a security. So to just on that level, Bitcoin's the only thing I can talk about and my hands are tied unless I, I uh, become a registered investment advisor and that comes with its own set of regulations, which I'm just not interested in. Uh, and you know whether Ethereum is a security or not is still up in the air. So even for something like Ethereum, I can't comment on it. Uh, secondly, it would be a huge uh, distraction for me to have to research all of these different altcoins. And there's so much going on in Bitcoin. I can barely keep up with what's going on in Bitcoin. Uh, so I, I do want to focus on Bitcoin. And the other part is that all of these other projects have uh, large marketing budgets. They have investor relations. Uh, because they're centralized and they have hundreds of millions of dollars in their war chest and they can just pay people to go uh, shill their uh, wares. And Bitcoin doesn't have that. Uh, so for projects that don't have that either, you know, like let's say arguably Litecoin doesn't have that. I think it would be great if someone started Litecoin Advisory or Tron Advisory <laughs> and went out and spoke with institutional investors about Litecoin or Tron, um, because ultimately it, it would be unfortunate if institutional investors only got their data from me or got their information from me. They should be trying to get the full spectrum of information from the best advocates of every point of view. So just as it'd be a mistake of them to say, well, we don't talk to Bitcoin maximalists because we don't like them. Like that would be uh, clearly a violation of their fiduciary duty and a terrible way of approaching investing. Uh, they should also not say, well, we're only going to listen to Pierre and we're only going to hire Pierre. Like they have a budget for consultants uh, and if they can't hire more than one consultant, then either they shouldn't be investing because they don't have enough capital to be investing, uh, or they should increase their budget for to hire other consultants who have a different flavor or point of view. Um, and then the other issue is that the people who are qualified to be talking about Bitcoin or any of these other projects, a lot of them just decided to start a crypto hedge fund. And so essentially you have their advice bundled in with their product. And if you want to hear their point of view on Bitcoin, uh, you're going to have to invest with them. Uh, and that, I think that creates a conflict of interest where these funds, they, they can't raise money on like, oh, we just hodl Bitcoin and then we charge you two and 20 to, because we're hodling. I've tried pitching it. Yeah, it's been 
the pitch has been vague and it's unpersuasive. Uh, but so I think that it makes sense to unbundle the Bitcoin maximalism hodl advice from the investment product uh, and just be a, a fee only advisor. Uh, Michael, you do some consulting of your own too, uh, slash consulting. Um, any fun experiences through your consulting work? Uh, well, I've, uh, I've had a few people reach out with some interesting questions. Uh, but for the most part, I've been having to focus on, uh, contract work at the time. Uh, so I've been busy coding and not, not as much consulting, but, uh, I mean, to sum that up, I mean, the, the real gist is, you know, as Pierre, uh, is wanting to reach out from the institutional investor side of things of very much the the economics um, and finance and investing. Uh, you know, I want I want to do that the same with the technical, which is a very uh, integral part of the investing. Because if you want to get into it, you really have to understand how this thing works. Um, otherwise, it doesn't really make sense. Like these these arguments about decentralization and security and stuff like that, none of it makes sense if you don't actually understand how the system creates these properties um so hopefully hopefully i'll have more time to devote to that uh but for now i'm it's just there in case uh people do reach out um but it hasn't been a strong focus at the moment sure but it's necessary nonetheless i I mean it's self-evidently necessary and the technical aspects of bitcoin are almost universally more daunting than uh, something like picking up a copy of Human Action or Man Economy and State or something like that. Like it's it's pretty serious material and it's somewhat intimidating. Um, for a non-institutional party who's interested in Bitcoin, um, what road would you sort of walk them down as far as um, dipping their feet in the shallow end before diving in the deep end of the technicals of Bitcoin? Yeah, Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos is the, the best place to start on technical stuff. If you want, um, you know, another kind of good overview is the Bitcoin.org uh, developer guide, um, which kind of goes over everything. Um, I also just think that they should do like a Codecademy Python tutorial for yeah. a few hours because just getting into the mindset of like thinking logically is foreign for a lot of people. Uh and I think that it's necessary to understand how software automates things. And this particular piece of software automates a social consensus. And right. it's, it, it's nothing more than that. Right. I mean, for instance, you know, I don't know if you could see it, but my full node computer is uh, in the background. And, uh, but that's basically an extension of me. It, it operates on the network using rules that I've agreed to, and it just automates it for me. I could sit, I could have a mailman, you know, deliver me blocks every day and I could, you know, look, get them on my desk and go through and decide, you know, do I accept this block or not? Uh, But instead, people have written software that I I want to use and I have it running so it can just do that constantly all day. And you both, or or I know, Michael, I think you mentioned it, last time we chatted or something um you both have attended uh jimmy song's programming blockchain uh seminar you have you i guess you found that to be a an exceptionally useful resource to in understanding the technicals of bitcoin it, it very much is but it's uh it's something that you do need a technical background um in order to even get in the class so you need to have a, a background in python or some other scripting languages um and and some very basic understanding of bitcoin um 
but if if you have reached that level, which if you've gone through mastering Bitcoin um, and you've you've gone on Code Academy, you will be at that level. Uh, yeah, programming blockchain is a fantastic course, uh, and I do highly recommend it. I'd emphasize too that like I got my bachelor's and master's in accounting, uh, and by no means do I understand programming as well as Bitstein, who got his computer science degree at one of the best research universities in the world. Uh, it's definitely feasible if you have zero programming background for you to start learning and be pretty fluent within 18 months. Uh, you're not going to know all of the computer science theory. Uh, you might not have a full grasp of, you know, object-oriented design patterns. Uh, a lot of developers don't, uh, even when they did go to college. Uh, but you can create a website or uh, automate a manual task that you have at work or in your own uh, private life. And I think that everyone should at least learn some of the basics so that they understand what programming is uh, and not think that, well, I, I'm terrible at math, you know, why would I try programming? I'm terrible at math too. Uh, that's why I picked accounting because it's addition and subtraction. Uh, I didn't do a civil engineering. So I'd actually argue that being good at reading comprehension and kind of like composition and writing uh, could be more important than just like knowing how to knowing calculus. I've never done any calculus while programming at all. Uh, but understanding uh, how to organize information, that's something that a literary person can do as well. And so they can pick up uh, programming, uh, just stay away from writing calculus software. Yeah, the, the only time I've written calculus software, uh, used calculus, was when I was having to do some uh, assignments in, in a math class that required right. having the computer do calculus. Um, one other sort of Bitcoin thing I, I think I would recommend to people if they're willing to kind of shell out some money for it is uh, to get a hardware wallet. Um, not necessarily to store the money because they might come to the conclusion that they, they don't like the particular security trade-offs of a hardware wallet. But uh, by getting the hardware wallet and setting it up and just going through the whole the whole gambit, uh, it, it's a really good introduction and like hands-on approach to learning the different sort of pieces of Bitcoin, like you know how addresses are made, like understanding HD wallets, for instance, um, how backups work, um, all of these sort of things that are very intuitive to us. It was because we spent that time, you know, playing with it. And the hardware wallet makes it much easier to uh, to to explore these ideas in a, a practical approach. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate all that. Um, that's helpful. Um, switching gears from the technical aspects of Bitcoin a little bit, um, you all just released an episode with Giacomo, and I had the pleasure of chatting with him. Um, and he likes to harp on the fact that he understands Bitcoin as most vulnerable to non-technical attacks, or most of Bitcoin's vulnerabilities are non-technical rather than technical. Um, and I'm curious to sort of pick y'all's brain on what you think um, the 
the most noteworthy, if not necessarily maybe most significant or potent attacks to Bitcoin, uh, like near term, we're talking like two, five uh, year time frame here, um, will be as in the past couple of weeks, we've seen a handful of billionaires come out again for some and bash Bitcoin. Um, and the sort of denunciations never seem to really be a tide that's never really stemmed. Um, what sort of attacks on Bitcoin do you see as most noteworthy over the next the next couple of years, uh, non-technical att attacks related? First, I have to say that you know bi billionaires coming out and speaking against Bitcoin will have no effect on uh, Bitcoin at all. In fact, it might even just cause the opposite. Um, and the reason I say that is because they've been doing that for ten years, and Bitcoin has gone from zero to you know nine thousand whatever it is today. Um, so I, I have no concerns about billionaires or journalists or other, you know, pundits that want to opine on things they don't understand. I don't think that'll cause any, any, uh, problems. Um, you know, th things that I, I, I do find interesting are, you know, sort of these, uh, different, the, the, the ways that information flows. So like right now there's this, we've had this issue for a long time of uh, Bitcoin.com as well as the, the Bitcoin Twitter account uh, promoting uh, Bitcoin cash over Bitcoin. Uh, therefore trying to lure people away from the, the shelling point that, you know, is, is what we call Bitcoin. Um, that, that is a, troublesome you know uh thing that exists and i i'd be interested to see how that how that continues into the future and and also you know even more interesting is just you know what will the community come up with uh to be able to uh deflect against that a little better and route around it i should say um so i i do think that's interesting and that you know on on that front as well um uh, bitcoin.org is is co-owned by uh the account cobra and cobra he posts many great things and he posts many things that I personally don't agree with. And a lot of it seems uh, sensational, but, you know, quite frankly, we don't, we don't know who the guy is or anything. So, uh, and he does own it and he's, he's promoted ideas that are not actually, as far as I can tell, reflective of how the community actually um, thinks. Um, and so because of that, Bitcoin.org might also one day, we, we could imagine it, um, not reflecting the the community values either so um yeah you know, those types of things so you know how how can we be sure that if a person is interested in bitcoin they can find uh the people and resources that can give them the information they're actually seeking uh because right now uh someone could go to bitcoin.com or bitcoin on twitter or these other places and uh you know if they they don't know yet uh what they believe about Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash um, or any of that, but they're getting they're they're getting a a a different point of view than what I want them to. Have. <laughs> no, sure, I I I definitely think um, each of each of the facets of that particular uh, issue. I, I'm sort of hesitant to use the word threat for something I'm about to explain, but each of those aspects of that issue uh, are troublesome and problematic. Um, but Rodolfo Novak, it, he basically thinks that Bitcoin Cash is no longer a threat to the extent that it's not even worth talking about anymore, not even mentioning it. Um, 
are you sort of mentioning Bitcoin Cash as something? I'm not saying I'm not sort of pitting him against you. I'm just asking your opinion on whether you think it will still be a poignant threat to Bitcoin over the next few years or whether it's um, or whether you have no idea or whether you think it's sort of fizzling out and definitely in sort of a moderate nosedive right now. Or how do you see all of that? Yeah. Uh, well, so actually, I, you know, if people are interested in this topic, I, I do highly recommend they go listen to our interview on Noted with Giacomo because we actually talk about this. Um, I, I don't see Bitcoin Cash as a as a threat in and of itself, um, but Bitcoin Cash represents uh, an attack that you could do on Bitcoin. Um, so it's it's obvious that being able to put out a a certain amount of a certain type of, of marketing material um, can can have an effect on the community um, and and the the narrative that new investors have. Uh, so because of that, when we say threat, it's not necessarily like we think it, we see it as a potential vector for subverting the network. Um, so, but, but Bitcoin Cash, no, I I don't. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I don't yeah. think it's going anywhere, but uh, we can learn a lot from this experience. I think the the bigger threat would be, well, so I, it looks like based on surveys and the price, Bitcoin Cash people were like 10 or 20% of Bitcoin before. Uh, although <laughs> people accuse them all of being sock puppets. I actually do think there are real Bcashers out there. Uh, the real problem would be if we have, let's just pick something stupid, 50% of Bitcoiners are against Schnorr signatures. <laughs> and they've decided that we're, you know, we're not going to have Schnorr in Bitcoin and they'll hard fork over this. Uh, and if it's really 50-50 or even 45-55, you know, uh, it's going to be really hard to tease out what is the um, shelling point of Bitcoin at that, it's split. Uh, so that to me is the biggest threat. Uh, obviously, 50% of the community is not opposed to Schnorr signatures, but, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head where we would have an even split at this point. Um, so that's the biggest threat. And the only reason I'm not on Twitter freaking out about it is because I don't see anything in the immediate future that would cause it to materialize. But uh, we can't exclude it. And I think Bitcoin Cash really highlighted how big of a problem that would be. Because Bcashers aren't a problem only because they're such a small minority of the pre-fork community. Um, but they're actually... The right in saying that Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin or Bitcoin is Bitcoin Cash in the sense that they're trying to change the shelling point of what we call Bitcoin. And that's and kind if of that. If that shelling point were to change, then everyone would call that Bitcoin and it just it right. would be. And we'd, we'd sound if that happened, we would just sound like the Bcashers. Right. Saying, now. No, guys, old Bitcoin. Bitcoin Core is Bitcoin. Uh, so I, I think that the only reason they're wrong is that only 10% of Bitcoiners showed up at their shelling point and they're in complete denial about it and they're, they're being delusional. Um, 
it's interesting because I think that part of that delusion is because they thought there was going to be a flipping and they dumped their BTC. And now they're, they're like the uh, Japanese World War II pilot who's on the stranded island and still think, you know, it's like 1957 and he thinks that the uh, Japanese empire will eventually prevail. <laughs> Do you do you have besides Bcash? Do you have any uh, opinions you want to share on threats to Bitcoin, Pierre, that you see as particularly noteworthy or particularly problematic in the future? Well, on the politics, it seems pretty clear that that's not going to be an issue. Uh, you know, the South Korean regulator who said he was going to regulate Bitcoin, he's dead. Uh, <laughs> Attorney General Schneiderman, who wanted to investigate Bitcoin exchanges, you know. We framed him with the the BDSM stuff. So, like and anyone, look at look what happened to. I mean, not the U.S., but look what happened to the uh, Saudi Arabian. Right, uh, uh, Ben Talal goes on television and uh, starts poo pooing Bitcoin, and before you know it, he's hung, hung upside down, getting tortured. So, I don't think that there that's going to be a problem on the politics side. Uh, we seem to have some kind of shadow Bitcoin government running this whole thing. Probably Bilderberg and uh, Blockstream are collaborating on that. Uh, now, see, but see, well, you know, when when people hear that Bilderberg is, you know, an asset funds Blockstream, you know, they think, oh my god, what a conspiracy! And I'm just thinking, maybe I thought wrong about Bilderberg this whole time. Um, well, maybe Blockstream is funding Bilderberg. Mm, the other way around. Right. Adam Back is uh, has corrupted the, the global elites. And, you know, Peter Thiel's a small part of that. Um, but, yeah, more seriously, I, I think that there really isn't a regulatory threat or a government threat. And ironically, I think it's because of the ICOs and everyone running around uh, creating unregistered securities. Bitcoin and, looks totally sane by comparison. Yeah, the SEC comes out and is like, well, Bitcoin's not a security, you know, so... It's, it's beneficial to have a contrast of like, here's what a total scam looks like. And the, the best they have against Bitcoin is that it's like harvesting baby brains. <laughs> um, or no, the best they have against Bitcoin is it's a non-productive asset. And there's nothing illegal about non-productive assets. And the US dollar itself is a non-productive asset. Um, so on the politics side, I'm, I'm not concerned. Uh, I think that... Actually, something that is a problem from a governmental point of view is the taxation of Bitcoin. Uh, I think that having capital gains for Bitcoin um, causes too much of an incentive to hodl. Uh, so I'm ready for the Twitter uh, pitchfork mob to come after me of uh, my fellow maximalists. But um, there's there should be some usage of Bitcoin as a method of payment in the United States. And that gets hindered a lot by the fact that anytime you spend all your Bitcoins, you have to keep track of it so that you can report your capital gain or loss. Uh, so I think that that's kind of like artificial government intervention. And while ideologically it is in the favor of hodling, uh, I think that one of the vectors by which we have greater a greater number of hodlers is small and medium-sized business owners 
who want to accumulate Bitcoins and want to do it in a way that is more private than doing KYC AML in exchange and also less expensive than paying exchange fees. So I think that exchanges are essentially getting subsidized by uh, this government intervention. And uh, I, I don't think that's that's great, but it's not really a threat to, to Bitcoin. Um, I think that the, the other big issue, and this is more from a technical side, is uh, ISPs and the internet. Oh yeah, yeah. Nick Zabo has has done a lot of good, I guess, tweets on on that topic. Yeah. So BGP when attacks and when intelligent people have concerns like that, like I don't know anything about network engineering, so I'm just parroting what he's saying. Uh, and then also just the fact that Blockstream thought this was an important enough issue that they would go rent satellite. Um, that indicates to me that this could be a real problem. Uh, I hope that Bitcoin gets big enough that, you know, hodlers can either acquire ISPs or build out our own network or whatnot. Well, and continue, continue putting out satellites and there. Yeah. Nick Zabo. Because it's not a high bandwidth thing. So, well, uh, Nick Zabo and Elaine Al were doing the, the radio wave, mm -hmm. um, stuff. So, uh, honestly, I mean, I think, I think, you know, it's not, it's not good, but you know, in, in many ways, it, it's just a nice stress test that you know pushes us to to work on these other things because Bitcoin should not rely on the internet, so to speak. Um, have, we should have tons of methods of communications to keep this thing afloat. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that it's getting hardened in this way when we really haven't seen. I guess China does China block. Port five four three two. So yeah, it's we're getting this hardening even ahead of uh, seeing any actual attacks in the wild. Although there was a thing about BGP. There had been there had been uh, I think there had been a theft or something. Yeah, of some kind that was that that had gone to that, with like that web player. wallets, not yes. really uh, Bitcoin per se. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, I do I do think yeah. Back to go to the branding issue, even without uh, a 50-50 split, I think there's more generally a problem of hard forks and whether Bitcoin can hard fork. Uh, I've heard people say that Bitcoin, there's no reason for Bitcoin to ever hard fork because we can get additional capacity increases through soft forks. Um, I, I kind of I'd have to see evidence for that, um, but if Bitcoin did hard fork, I my preference would be that we pick a new name for this new hard fork of Bitcoin, because I really think that we should get away from thinking that the only reason Bitcoin is the largest and most liquid uh, cryptocurrency is because Oh, well, it just has this brand that people um, know and love. I think that the, the reason why it should be the most liquid cryptocurrency is because it's been around the longest and it doesn't and it really matter. Mm -hmm. And it has the best properties. Yeah, it has the best properties. And so those like its name shouldn't be a, a part of the set of its best properties. Uh, so, but that's wildly unrealistic, and that's really as unrealistic as the bee catchers who want us to call 
their pile of mud Bitcoin, but it's just something that I've been thinking. About. Uh, another point with that is just the fact that, you know, if people think that the, the, the branding is something you need to hold on to, they should also remember that, you know, over the past many years that Bitcoin's been around, the branding has actually been sort of, uh, people have viewed it as a net negative uh, for things like the Silk Road. Um, so, you know, it, it used to be the, the arguments, you know, we had to argue against this of people thinking, um, you know, Bitcoin has an image problem uh, because its its branding is heavily associated with uh, darknet mar markets. Um, of course, my response to that is that's exactly why I'm interested in it. I don't want a money. Not that I not that I, I partake in those. I don't I don't even ha really hang out with people that that partake in those. You don't even do like basic drugs like sugar or caffeine. I don't even do it's coffee, pathetic. you know. But I don't, I don't, I don't want a money. I don't want a money that can't be used for these things. Just for the fact that, like, the fact that you can use it for those things means that it's good money. Yeah, the most hilarious attack on like the Bitcoin name is people saying, you know, I wish Satoshi had picked a different name because it emphasizes the monetary application too much, <laughs> and there's so many other non-monetary applications out there that you get lost because people hear bitcoin and they only think coin i'm like you are a special kind of stupid yeah uh, another another branding attack on bitcoin is um it's still going on in 2013 i see some people capitalizing the c oh, um that drives me nuts there's this guy on LinkedIn. <laughs> so you know he, he he writes i think he's like a daily market commentary and he would capitalize the C in Bitcoin, but would not capitalize the C in Litecoin. So there's just no rhyme or reason to, to his approach to capitalization. And what bothers me about someone writing Bitcoin with a capital C is that it tells me that they've read the word Bitcoin so few times that their sample size is like, well, you know, 70% of the time I've seen it capitalized with the C. So I'm running with that. Uh, and that indicates to me that they really haven't done all that much research on Bitcoin because like it, it, try reading through mastering Bitcoin cover to cover and then writing Bitcoin with a capital C. Like unless you have a learning disorder, <laughs> learning disability. Uh, it, it I think that the disability is just being a boomer. Yeah, it, it might be an age thing, but. I, I, you're wearing glasses, like you're able to read. I, you gotta, uh, unless now this is a perfectly valid reason for capitalizing the C, which is a troll, Pierre. <laughs> that I understand that. Uh, just please disclose it after your message. <laughs> it sort of bugs me when people haphazardly capitalize the B or not capitalize the B. Also, I just always opt to typically capitalize it. But you're wrong. <laughs> that's that's the wrong thing to do. You don't capitalize the B. Here's 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 what I was taught when I first got into Bitcoin back in the day. You capitalize the B for Bitcoin the network. Mm -hmm. You lowercase the B for Bitcoin the money the the unit. You know, like you don't capitalize Satoshi's. You don't capitalize Bitcoins, but you do capitalize the Bitcoin network. Uh, and I'm sticking to that. I try to follow that convention. I'm not super religious about it. Um, 
No, but, I agree. I agree. I think, well, I think the plural of Bitcoin is Bitcoins, not Bitcoin. And I don't capitalize that when I'm referring to plural Bitcoins. But in almost any other circumstance, I guess I opt to capitalize it. Um, even in some ambiguous situations when I'm just referring to Bitcoin as a whole, um, almost as sort of a modicum with a modicum of respect. Um, but well, it's like yeah. uh, it's like that old English style of writing where they capitalize all the nouns and stuff. It's you know we we emphasize Bitcoin is a word of power. We're we're bringing back you know nineteenth century monetary policy. Yeah, we can bring back nineteenth century English writing as well. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, we're, I try to keep these episodes to like 30 minutes and we're well past that. Uh, as we sort of wrap up here, this has been a blast. It's honestly, um, podcast aside, it's a pleasure chatting with you again, Michael, and uh, chatting with you too, Pierre. As we wrap up though here, is there anything else you'll want to mention, um, on any of the wide variety of things we've touched on through this episode, as far as threats to Bitcoin, understanding the technicals, the technicalities of Bitcoin, um, you all's individual work, anything like that? Um, just sort of final thoughts to wrap up the episode. Uh, well, I highly recommend anyone uh, who's listening to go read uh, the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute, uh, the entire website. Uh, <laughs> but specifically, specifically for at least for the economics, to go to the uh, the crash course page. Uh, which if you read that, you understand what all of the things that we're arguing and have argued for the past five years. Um, and additionally, you know, I, I do recommend everyone, you know, check out our podcast, uh, the Noted Bitcoin Cast at node.org, uh, N-O-D-E-D, um, where we, we love getting into technical degree with all kinds of cool guests. Any final thoughts from you, Pierre? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Bitcoin is not a minor democracy. That's my most important <laughs> message. Very important that, message. Yeah, that I, I want the audience to repeat to after hear. us. Bitcoin is not a minor democracy at all. Uh, yeah, uh, and follow us on Twitter, and yeah, listen to the Noted podcast on top of Zach's podcast. Because if you're listening to Zach's podcast, that means that you like podcasts. So why not subscribe to more podcasts, especially because it's Bitcoin related. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show, guys. Again, this has been an absolute blast. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me. I can't wait to produce this and release it. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Have a good yeah. one, Zach. Thank you. This coin pod has been a production of You, Me, and BTC in collaboration with the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. Visit thecoinpod.com and noted.org to learn more about each show. And be sure to follow both at The Coin Pod and at Noted Podcast on Twitter to stay up to date with new episodes from each show. After listening, be sure to message Pierre, Michael, and myself on Twitter with your thoughts about our conversation. From The Coin Pod team, we'll be back next week. And until then, cheers.